Good morning. We continue this morning in our series on the local church. Uh, two weeks ago, we started with an overview sermon. Uh, we asked the question, what is the church? Uh, and the biblical definition that we came up with was that the church is God's precious people purchased and preserved by Christ. Last week, we looked at the topic of preaching, and I made the argument that the preaching and teaching of the word was uh, the most important thing that happens when God's people gather together as the church, uh, because it's a primary means by which God saves and God sanctifies his people, and so it should be the right focus of any healthy and biblical church. Today, I want to continue in our series by beginning our study on church leadership. And given the primacy of the Word of God in the church, uh, it only makes sense to start with the leaders whose primary task is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And of course, I'm referring to elders. Uh, Now, just fair warning here. As I was looking over the, uh, just the number of pages in my sermon, uh, this sermon is going to be a little longer than usual. And you know that my usual is already longer than usual. And so I say that so you will be mentally prepared to focus in this hour. Uh, and here's the thing, right? Because we're dealing with God's word, uh, you, uh, your efforts in focusing are not going to be in vain simply because this is God's word. Uh, but let's start by uh, going to God again, asking him uh, that he would help us in our time in the word. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for this time that your people can gather and look into your word and be taught by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We just ask that you would grant to each of us a true humility, that we would not seek to be wise in our own eyes or uh, just rest in what we think we already know, but that we would seek to be shaped in wisdom through your word. Uh, Give us attentive minds, uh, give us receptive hearts, Uh, that we might learn from your word on this uh, very important topic, uh, that we might honor our chief shepherd in all things. Amen. All right, so let me start with a statement that I don't think I will get any pushback on. Uh, I think we can all agree from the word of God, from knowing our own hearts, uh, from just uh, seeing the society around us. Uh, Fallen man does not like authority. Fallen man does not like authority. Fallen man likes when he himself is in authority. But fallen man does not like being under authority, especially under the authority of an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God. And that's nothing new. That's not a product of our century or or our our culture or our times or anything like that. Uh, We can trace it all the way back to the very beginning, right, to the Garden of Eden, on a, just a very basic level, what happened at the fall is that Adam and Eve refused to acknowledge God's authority. Uh, God, in an expression of his authority over them, gives them a command of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Satan tempts Eve by telling her that God's lying to her. Right? He, he is misusing his authority over you. Uh, you cannot trust him. You will not surely die. He's deceiving you. He's trying to oppress you. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. 
God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He doesn't want that. And so in rebellion against God's authority, they eat. And so all humans, all of us, as their offspring, we've inherited from them a sin nature which includes in it a distrust and a dislike of God's authority. And so we want to be independent. Uh, We want to put ourselves in God's place. We uh, We don't want God telling us how we should live. At the root of all sin is essentially a rejection of God's authority. God, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Fallen man does not like being under God's authority. Now one byproduct of that, that disdain for God's authority, is disdain for the authority structures that God has by his authority given to us, put over us. And so, children disobey their parents, whom God has set in authority over them, right, the fifth commandment. And citizens don't submit to governing authorities, whom God has appointed over them, Romans 13. And if you are a teacher or a boss or a police officer or a coach uh, or a supervisor at work, like in some way you've got some authority over some group of people, well, you know from firsthand personal experience that natural man has a disdain for authority structures. And so in the worldview of fallen man, authority is viewed as a bad thing, whether it's God's authority or human authority. Freedom, independence, calling our own shots, right? That is where happiness is supposed to lie. And that's exactly where we all once found ourselves, where we all would still be, but by the grace of God in the gospel. Because in the gospel, God takes rebels, right? he takes his enemies, he takes those who reject him and his authority, and he forgives their sin. He forgives their disobedience. He forgives their rebellion because of Jesus' death on the cross on their behalf. And so those who once refused his rule are now made into his people. But not only that, he grants to his people new hearts. So that not only is that rebellion forgiven, but that previously rebelliously inclined heart, well now that's been replaced. And so the, uh, the heart that was characterized by rebellion against God, well, now it sees God's authority as a good thing, right? His commandments are safe. They're not burdensome. Submission to him is our delight. And a heart that was characterized by disdain for the authority structures that God has set over us, well, now we desire to submit to those authority structures to the glory of God. So that's where I want to start our discussion about elders, Those whom God has appointed to spiritually lead and have authority over his church. Those whose leadership God has called his people to submit to. As God's people, we should not think of spiritual authority and submission in the way that the world thinks of those things. Or even how we in our unregenerate minds once thought of those things as, as bad things that we need to free ourselves from. No, we ought to think of them in a sanctified sense, given the new hearts that God has given us. Uh, We ought to think of elders and their authority as good gifts from a good God. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about Christ giving gifts to men. One of those gifts, Ephesians 4.11, is elders. And so elders, their God-given authority and leadership, when biblically stewarded, they're a good gift to God's church. So what I want to do this morning as we think about elders is first I want to look at the office of elders, right? clarify exactly what elders are, and then I want to look at the responsibility of elders. What exactly is it that they do? And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll talk about the qualifications of elders. Uh, what should an elder's life look like? But before we go any further, let me make a few important uh, just clarifications on terminology, right? just so we all know what we mean by the words that we use. Uh, in the New Testament church, there are two offices. Uh, you've got elders and you've got deacons. Uh, and those are two separate offices, right? Elders are not deacons and deacons are not elders. Uh, elders spiritually lead the church. We're going to talk more about that later when we talk about the function of elders. Uh, deacons, very important to the church, but deacons do not spiritually lead the church. Deacons serve the body of Christ in terms of uh, physical and practical needs, so that Acts chapter 6, the elders might focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And we're going to talk more about deacons in two weeks. Uh, but for now, all I want to do is just draw a distinction between elders and deacons, right? They're two separate groups. Now, where it gets a little bit tricky is that within elders, within that office, uh, we've got several different terms that are used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe that one group of people. Uh, the English word that we probably use most often is the word pastor. Uh, but here's something interesting to note. Uh, the word pastor, in most English translations, you're only going to find it in one place in your entire New Testament. Uh, and that's that verse that I referred to earlier, Ephesians 4.11. And if you've got an ESV, like I do, you're not going to find it at all because the ESV translates that word, poimen, as shepherds. And so that's one word, term, for a church leader, right? Pastor or shepherd, same thing, uh, poimen in the Greek. A more commonly seen word in our English uh, Bibles is the word elder. That's from the Greek word presbyteros. Uh, now, poimen refers more to the function of church leaders, right? They're shepherds over God's people. Uh, elders refers more to their spiritual maturity, which we're going to talk about more next week when we talk about qualifications. A third Greek word that we see in the New Testament for that same office is episkopos, uh, typically translated as overseers in your English Bibles. By the way, you take that word episkopos, you take off that front sound, you take off that end sound, you're left with piskop, uh, which is where we get our English word bishop. Uh, and so that's another way we could possibly refer to that same office and this, too, is referring to uh, the function of the office. Uh, what does an overseer do? Well, he oversees. And so, poimen, right, shepherd, pastor, presbyteros, elder, episkopos, overseer, or bishop, uh, all three Greek words, and thus all five English translations, uh, they all refer to the same group of people. It's kind of like the leader of our nation, uh, the President of the United States, that's his official title, but he's also the Commander-in-Chief 
right? That's referring more to a function. Uh, and in the diplomatic sense, he would be called his excellency, but it's all referring to the same office. But don't just take my word for it, that these three uh, Greek words refer to the same office. Uh, you can see how all three words are used interchangeably in First Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, I exhort the elders, that's presbyteros, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, that's now the verb form of poimeno, or poimen, right, to pastor or shepherd. The flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, right, as an overseer, right, that's the verb form of episkopos. If you're still not convinced, Look at Acts 20, look at verse 17, right? Paul calls for who? He calls for the elders, the presbyteros of the church at Ephesus. And then he tells them in the same conversation, uh, verse 28, now I'm reading from the NASB, uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy, Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd, again, that's the verb form of poimen, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, so why am I spending so much time going over this seemingly minute clarification? I think understanding our terms, that they're referring to the exact same office, I think it can clear up some misconceptions that we might have. For example, uh, bishops. Uh, Bishops are not those who are over like a group of churches, And so hierarchically, like above the elders of each of those churches. No, because bishops are elders, and elders are bishops. Uh, The idea of uh, bishops and then archbishops, right, ruling over a number of churches, uh, that is a construct of church history more than it is a biblical concept. Or maybe uh, you see a church with multiple elders, and you think, well, you've got the pastor— That's the guy who mainly preaches, and the rest of the guys are elders. Now, that is the true statement, but keep in mind, the guy you're calling pastor, the guy who preaches, is himself an elder. And the other guys that you're referring to as elders, well, they are also pastors. The point being, whatever spiritual authority you recognize in the former, you're also recognizing in the latter. So pastor equals shepherd, equals bishop, equals overseer, equals elder. With that terminology set, let's think about what the Bible teaches about the office of elders. And my three points here are going to be elders are plural, elders are male, and elders are human. So first, elders are plural. The office of elder always in the New Testament refers to a plurality. That is, the New Testament pattern is to have multiple elders within any given church body. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they're going around from Lystra to Iconium to Derbe. They're building, building up the churches there. And it says that when they had appointed elders for them in every church— With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, right? These aren't two guys with a lot of free time on their hands. They're busy. They got to go other places. Why not just appoint an elder, singular, in every church? That would be so much more expedient. 
because the New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders. Titus 1. Look at what Paul instructs Titus to do in order to establish the churches in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. Not an elder singular in every town, but elders plural in every town. And it's not just Paul's idea. Look at how Peter uh, opens his letter, 1 Peter, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So he's writing to believers all over the world. But, remember we've seen this verse already. Uh, remember what he writes to these churches, 1 Peter 5.1, I exhort the elders, plural, among you, And so he assumes that each of the congregations all over the known world to whom he's writing already has elders among them. And James, he never likes being left out of the fun. He wants to get in on this also. So his epistle, he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He also assumes the presence of elders, plural, in every church. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. Why not just say, let him call for the pastor? Because the pattern of the New Testament, what James expected from the congregations to which he was writing, was elders, plural. You get the point. But why have a plurality of elders? We can think of two main reasons. One would be to ease the burden. We get a beautiful picture of this all the way back in the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus 18. Uh, You've got Moses. He is the leader of the Israelites. Uh, And he's a great leader, a gifted man. But as gifted as he is, the burden is just too great on him as a single leader. Uh, It says in the text that the people were standing around him all day waiting to meet with him. That's kind of stressful. And so Exodus 18, verse 17 and following, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and all the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Okay, so what then is the solution? Verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Find qualified Able men who can help share the burden of leadership with you. That's a great picture of why the office of elder should be a plurality. Simply to ease the burden that would be on one man. A second reason is safety. The Proverbs are clear. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. When it's not one man leading and just making decisions by himself, but it's an abundance of counselors, well, there's safety in that. Uh, Maybe one elder is able to see a perspective that uh, the others don't see, or maybe one elder is especially knowledgeable on a certain issue, or maybe the discussion among the elders just leads to a better solution than one envisioned by any one of them. But also there's safety in protecting against one man just taking all the authority of the church upon himself, which could 
even lead to a potential abuse of authority. Now, some churches have tried to limit a single pastor's authority by then delegating what should be pastoral authority to other groups in the church. And typically, it's the deacons, but various other kinds of boards and committees as well. But you see, that, that extreme, that's not healthy either, because what happens in those situations is that those whom God has not appointed to oversee the church are actually overseeing the church. And that can lead to a whole host of problems. But safeguards against potential abuse of power by a single pastor Well, they're much more biblically and safely accomplished through the New Testament pattern of a plurality of pastors. And so it's the biblical pattern to have a plurality of elders. We see that exampled all over the New Testament. And it's also biblically wise to have an abundance of counselors, to both ease the burden on any one man and also for safety. So does that mean then that it is sinful for a church to have only one pastor? I would say no. A plurality of elders seems to be a matter more of example and wisdom than a strict commandment. Uh, And so circumstances and providence, right? Think really small churches, think uh, congregations that are in transition. uh, That can leave a church with a single pastor for a season, But certainly it would not be the biblical ideal for any church to be in that state long term. And I would also balance everything that I've said so far about the importance of a plurality of elders with Paul's command to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others by being hasty to uh, lay hands. I think it's far worse for a church to have unqualified or even not yet ready men become elders just for the sake of establishing a plurality than for a church to only have one man leading for a season. So first, elders are plural. Second, elders are male. That is, only men can serve in the office of elder. Why do I say that? Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here uh, because we haven't gotten to the function of elders yet. But as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, right, the primary functions of an elder include teaching the church and exercising authority over the church. So with that in mind, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man And it's no coincidence that just four verses later, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, remember that there were no chapter breaks in the original letters, just four verses later, Paul then describes the qualifications of an elder. That is, a person who is supposed to teach and exercise authority in the church. And so that verse is not like Paul giving random thoughts on the role of women in the church. He's doing it specifically in the context of the next discussion about who can serve as an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so because of what elders must do, teach and exercise authority, women cannot be elders. And I realize that what I just said uh, might rub some of you the wrong way. 
but I want you to see that this is not my personal opinion. This is not what I think is best. It's what the Word of God says. Now at this point, some of you may object and say, well, yeah, Paul does say that he will not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. But you see, the cultural context, that was way different back then. Uh, Women weren't educated. It was a male-dominated society in which it would have been a stumbling block for women to exercise authority like that. Like, that's why it wasn't permitted back then. In our society, things are different. And so women can be pastors. Well, you'd be right in one sense. Uh, Right now, things in our society are different. Uh, For example, uh, my wife is far more educated than I am. And you're right, right? Women are currently in many very important positions of authority and leadership. Uh, Our state's governor, uh, our nation's vice president, uh, the secretary of the treasury, right, to name a few. But that's not the point, because none of those are the reason or the rationale that Paul gives as to why women cannot teach or exercise authority in the church. Look at the very next verse, 1 Timothy 2.13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so Paul's argument is first one from creation, It is a simple byproduct of creation order. Man was formed first, then woman, which, by the way, precedes the fall, right? It comes before the fall. And so we can't just say male leadership is a byproduct of sin and oppression because it was clearly God's design from creation. But second, look at how Paul adds an argument from the fall. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, it's not saying that women are necessarily more gullible or easily deceived, and that's why they shouldn't lead in the church. I think it's saying this is what happens when men and women don't properly fulfill the roles that God has assigned to them. Uh, Like when Adam passively sits back and just lets Eve take charge and plunge them into sin. And so, not because the Greek words that we discussed earlier uh, for elder and pastor and overseer are all male, although the Greek words that we discussed earlier are all male. And not because every uh, conceivable person who could have been an elder or a pastor in the New Testament was male, although it is true that every person who conceivably could have been a pastor or elder in the New Testament was male, but simply because the function of elders can only biblically be fulfilled by men, therefore, elders are male. Now that is not to say that Uh, Women then have absolutely no teaching role in the church. Uh, Consider Titus 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach. And so the same Paul who said in 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach, is here saying that older women are to teach. And that's clearly because in this context here, 1 Timothy 2, he's talking about women teaching men. Titus 2, the context is clearly talking about women teaching women women, which is not only permissible, but it is biblically commanded. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working from home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so, elders are plural, and elders are male. Thirdly, elders are human, 
I'm not making a distinction between, let's say, uh, human and animal. Though I bet you, with the wackiness that's out there, that you could probably find a church where, like, a dog is an elder or something like that. Uh, I am making the distinction here of human as opposed to God. Elders are human. Elders are not God. But they're humans that God has himself appointed to lead his church. And so there's a balance there as we think about spiritual authority. And it's a balance that I think we see really clearly in 1 Peter 5 too. Look at how pastors are told to shepherd uh, not your flock, but the flock of God. Uh, the sheep belong to God. And so the shepherd pastor is merely a caretaker of what actually belongs to God. Remember our definition of the church? The church is God's precious people purchased and preserved by Christ. Uh, no pastor has purchased his church through his substitutionary death. Only Christ has. Uh, no pastor has the power to preserve his people. Only Christ does through his abiding union which, with each of his people, right, through his preserving grace upon each of his sheep. The church is God's sheep, and pastor shepherds are just caring for what belongs to God, which means that it's ultimately to God that they're accountable. Hebrews thirteen seventeen describes elders as those who will have to give an account. And so to the extent that a pastor uses his God-given authority wrongly, unbiblically, for his own gain, well, he is going to be held accountable for that by God. Uh, second, notice how Peter points out that elders are to shepherd the flock of God, 1 Peter 5, 2, that is among you. Basically, uh, pastors are sheep too. If anything, they're sheep before their shepherds. Right? All sheep, including the shepherd's sheep, they're under 1 Peter 5, 4, the chief shepherd. Which means, just practically, under no circumstances ever, 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 ever should you disobey an explicit command from God's word because of the pastor's authority. Because the pastor shepherd's authority is a derived authority right, from the one who has ultimate authority over the church, which is the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Basically, you should never follow your pastor into sin just because he's your spiritual authority because that would be putting his authority above God's authority. You say, well, who would ever do that? Well, friends, consider that's basically how every cult starts. They clearly go against the word of God, but there's just this mindless, unchecked devotion to this charismatic or magnetic leader right, whose authority in the eyes of its adherents ultimately overrules even God's. But third, and this is really important, I want you to see this in your own Bible. So if you've been following along on the screen, but you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 5, 2. I want you to see this because this is crucial for our understanding. The two things in 1 Peter 5, 2 that Peter tells elders, this is what you got to do. Shepherd, exercise oversight, right? That's from 1 Peter 5, 2. Peter has already used those exact terms in this letter. Look back to 1 Peter 2.25. You were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd who shepherds and the overseer who oversees 
your souls. Who's that referring to? Well, the previous verse tells us, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so the good shepherd, Jesus, he's laid down his life for his sheep that they might be his people, that he might have oversight over them, that he might shepherd them. And then he's delegated certain men to do exactly that, to mediate that authority of shepherding and overseeing his people. Which means that by submitting to your elders, your human elders, as they lead according to God's word, you are submitting to Jesus himself. Because Jesus himself has appointed those elders to mediate that authority of shepherding and oversight. And conversely, to go against your God-given spiritual authorities as they seek to shepherd you through his word is to go against Jesus himself. Church, if you see elders as merely human authorities, well, given our natural proclivity, proclivity, there's a hard word to pronounce, our natural tendencies uh, against authority, it's going to be awfully hard for us to rightly submit to spiritually, spiritual leadership, right? If we see them as just men. But if instead you see your elders as mediators of Jesus' authority, as his under-shepherds, well, that's going to make it a million times easier to biblically follow and submit to their leadership. Elders are human, and thus their authority needs to be seen in light of God's authority, but at the same time, Elders are the humans through whom God mediates his authority in the local church. And so his people must submit to their elders' authority when they're leading biblically. Point number one, the office of elders. Elders are plural, elders are male, and elders are human. So let's think about point number two, uh, the responsibility of elders. Like, what are they to do? Well, 1 Peter 5, 2 is clear shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In Acts 20, 28, uh, elders are to shepherd the church of God. And so if you said, okay, you're only allowed to have one word to describe what elders do, I would say shepherd. And I think that's an appropriate description for church leaders because in God's wisdom, he has chosen throughout redemptive history to lead his people through shepherds, uh, Jacob and his sons. They were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David, a shepherd. And so even in the church, he has called pastors to shepherd his people uh, as a picture of his own care for his people. And while there's a lot of different responsibilities that we could draw from that picture of shepherding, I think the three most important are that a shepherd feeds his sheep, a shepherd protects his sheep, And a shepherd leads the sheep. So let's start with the feeding. Uh, Shepherds must feed their sheep. Uh, Pastors must feed their churches. Uh, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. How does the pastor shepherd feed his flock? Well, you know the answer because we talked about it at length last week. It's through the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Uh, That's the food that God's people Need. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
And in the New Testament, we have this imagery of uh, the word being the pure spiritual milk and solid food, right? That's the food that the pastor shepherd must feed to his church. So tying it to last week's sermon, it's not a surprise that if the primary work of the church is the preaching and teaching of God's word, then the primary work of those called to lead that church is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Remember your leaders, Hebrews 13, 7, those who spoke to you the word of God. Leaders, pastor shepherds, are those who speak to you the word of God through preaching and teaching and feeding the flock. And you can see, by the way, that the responsibility of the pastor in this regard has an accompanying responsibility for the congregation. Uh, We talked about this last week in terms of attentiveness to the teaching Uh, If the pastor shepherd is to faithfully teach, then the congregation is to faithfully listen. A second related responsibility of pastor shepherds is protecting. Uh, A shepherd would have to protect his sheep from wolves and all kinds of predators. That's exactly the imagery the New Testament uses in describing the ministry of pastors in protecting their churches from false teachers. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, right? You see that imagery. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. And so what is the elder supposed to do? Therefore, be Alert. Be alert. Protect the sheep. And so one of the elder qualifications that Paul gives in Titus 1.9 is that they need to be able to rebuke those who would contradict sound teaching. And so this second responsibility, it's closely related to the first. Uh, feeding and protecting, uh, they're closely related because they both have to do with the teaching of God's word. Uh, pastors must teach the word of God to their flock, to feed them spiritually, right, for vitality and nourishment. But also, pastors must teach the word of God to their flock so that they can recognize what is not true, what is false, what is aberrant, whether it's on television or on a podcast or it's just kind of making its way through the body or perhaps it's even coming from this pulpit that the church might not be led astray. Pastor shepherds must feed and protect. And thirdly, pastor shepherds must lead. Uh, The responsibility of shepherds uh, doesn't end with just the feeding and the protecting. Uh, They've got to direct the sheep, care for the sheep, tend to the weak sheep, make various decisions on the sheep's behalf for their good. And so it's the same thing for pastors. Uh, Pastors aren't just those who would get up every Sunday morning and kind of give a helpful exhortation Uh, That's the extent of their responsibilities and influence, like a guest lecturer. No, the pastor shepherd has to lead his congregation in many other ways. Administering the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. uh, Taking the lead in matters of membership and discipline. uh, Making various decisions about the congregation, its direction. uh, Structuring the corporate worship service. Uh, establishing the various ministries of the church, counseling and caring for the souls of the members, praying for the church, 
deciding on missionaries, uh, ministering through uh, weddings and funerals, encouraging the faint-hearted, the downtrodden, exhorting and rebuking those who are in sin, retrieving the lost sheep, so on and so on. Uh, All of that I'm just going to put under the broad umbrella of leading with spiritual authority. Look at how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well, elders rule and lead in that regard. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. That's the same word as rule in 1 Timothy 5.17. Are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so pastor shepherds must lead, rule in all of these matters. And again, this responsibility for the pastors, well, that comes with an accompanying responsibility for the congregation. Uh, If the pastor shepherd is to lead well, then the congregation must submit to their leadership and direction. That was a lot. So let me recap here. We started by talking about the office of elders. Elders are plural, right? That is the New Testament pattern, the New Testament model. And it is also a principle of biblical wisdom, We establish that elders are male because they are called to teach and to exercise authority in the church. And then we establish that elders are human and thus their authority is relative to God's, but at the same time they've been appointed by God to mediate his own authority. And then we talked about the function of elders. What do they do? Well, they're shepherds, and so as shepherds they feed God's people As shepherds, they protect God's people from false teaching. And as shepherds, they are to lead God's people in all things pertaining to the life of the church. So my hope is to next Sunday pick up right here and talk about the qualifications of an elder. Uh, Let me give you just two quick application points uh, as we close this morning. Uh, The first is very specific to our church and that is to pray for wisdom. Uh, If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, I trust that the teaching from the Bible on elders was helpful for you to kind of think about biblical church leadership in the context of your own home church. Uh, Just bear with me for a few moments because I'm about to say something very specific to our local body. Uh, First Baptist Church, uh, those of us who are members of this church, speaking very specifically to you, Let's pray for wisdom. Uh, Our bylaws, uh, they don't explicitly prohibit a plurality of elders, but they also don't acknowledge that that is the biblical model, that that biblical wisdom is found in a plurality of elders uh, to lead the church. Uh, And so, for example, uh, section two of our bylaws, and I realize I sound like a lawyer now, no offense to all you lawyers, but uh, section two of our bylaws only refers to the pastor singular and not the pastor's. I think more problematically, uh, the bylaws delegate responsibilities that should fall to the elders as they spiritually lead the church to other groups within the congregation. Uh, And so, for example, uh, oversight of membership is delegated to the deacons and not the elders, even though that's a spiritual matter of first importance, right? Who is recognized as a part of the body and who is not? We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about membership. And according to our bylaws, uh, general supervision over all activities and departments in the church, that's something that I've clearly argued should belong to the purview of the elders in their spiritual leadership. 
Well, that's a responsibility that's given to the advisory board, which is a, a committee consisting of the pastor, deacons, trustees, and a few other folks. Uh, let me say one other thing before I proceed. Uh, the, that's the letter of the law in this church, like according to the bylaws. In practice, like in the practice of this church, that's really not an issue. Because among your deacons, among your trustees, among the advisory board, uh, there is a biblical understanding of pastoral leadership uh, and the spiritual responsibilities and authority of the pastors. But at the same time, like our bylaws should reflect how the Bible lays out issues of church governance. And so I'm currently working on revising these bylaws to that end, and I would just ask that you would pray for wisdom. Uh, Pray for me, that God would grant me wisdom as I think through how to revise the bylaws. And pray for the congregation, right, that the congregation would have wisdom, because the final authority does rest with you, right? We are congregational, uh, that you would all be able to see these matters through a biblical lens. So first, pray for wisdom. Uh, Second, respect, esteem, honor, obey, and submit to your elders. What really caught my eye this week as I kind of studied through the New Testament passage on spiritual leadership was just this repeated emphasis, like multitudes of commands given to the church on respecting, esteeming, honoring, obeying, and submitting to spiritual leaders. 1 Thessalonians five twelve and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Friends, you know why there are so many commands about respecting and esteeming and honoring and obeying and submitting to spiritual leadership? It's because, going back to what I said at the very beginning, like in our flesh, that does not come naturally to us. What does come naturally to us is to be critical and to disrespect and to question authority and to undermine and to nitpick And so by way of application, I think this is a helpful thing for each of us to examine ourselves. Uh, What is your heart towards those whom God has put in authority over you? Uh, Do you conduct yourself in a way that your pastors can fulfill their God-given duties with joy and not with groaning? Uh, Do you, in the ways in which you speak about them and to them, uh, do you tend to have a critical spirit and an inclination towards distrust or one of trust and honor. Now, I realize I am talking about myself. Since I am your pastor, uh, is that awkward to tell your people to submit to your spiritual authority and honor you? Uh, No, not at all, because this is coming straight from the Bible. And so this is about a lot more than just me. Like, yeah, personal preference, okay? I would prefer for my congregation to be encouraging and respectful. Like, I would much prefer that over the alternative. But really, given that these are biblical commands from God himself, the greater sadness when you don't do that would be not from my feelings being hurt. Like, I'll be okay. But it's from seeing people whom I love and care for not obeying God's word. 
I want my physical children to obey me and honor me, not just so my life will be easier and my home will be more peaceful, although my life will be easier and my home will be more peaceful. Ultimately, I want them to submit to God's word. And so, dear church, uh, respect, esteem, honor, obey, and submit to your elders, uh, first and foremost, because you respect, esteem, honor, obey, and submit to God's authority and God's word. And if that happens to make my life easier, I'm thankful for that too. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how your word so clearly teaches how your church should be governed. God, we pray that you would align your people's will with yours, that we seek to be a New Testament church that honors you in everything that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.